The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Welcome to Ask Alex episode 185 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back, then don't forget to sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on the OneOuter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at oneouter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. We are joined this Thursday at the usual time for me and an unusual time for Alex because he is actually still in Las Vegas. And Alex, I think this is maybe the first time we've done a show where you've been on the road rather than in Costa Rica or at your home uh, whether that was uh, when you stayed in Boulder City, was it, or in your uh, new Ball house? Had said it. Yeah, Ball had said uh, it. yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we we did uh, we did one on the road in Montreal, but that felt like a home because it was an Airbnb. Right. We did one when I was in, we did a couple when I was in Prague. Um, right. So what I've said is a lot of nonsense. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Okay. New York. Yeah, they were forgettable. <laughs> I'm glad our time is so meaningful, Barry, that you remember each and every minute. But yeah. no, it's not like you can see where I am, too. So it's just one of those. Where are you at, Alex? Okay, you're, great. Let's get always, into the question. You're, in you're not supposed to remember that. Yeah. Go ahead. You're always in my heart. That's why. No matter where you are, you're always in my heart. Yeah. So uh, anyway, Alex is still in Las Vegas, Nevada. And you're in an Airbnb this time, aren't you? you got a little place. Yes, sir. I am in an Airbnb right now. Good. So let's talk about, uh, without any spoilers, um, Alex, what the fuck happened in the main event? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm well, joking. Uh, I was planning to win it, and then Barry invested, and I said, you know what would be really funny is if I just take this thing. And just spew these chips off. <laughs> uh no, I uh, uh, both did, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry about that, guys. Uh, both my day one and day two table draws were, the word that went through my head was horrendous, but it wasn't that bad. It, what happened was is I had, both times I had just lights out pros to my left. And I don't mean like good pros. I mean like these guys played really well. There was one guy. <clears throat> oh god sorry about that guys and uh there was this one guy who was three to my left the first day he was from uh he, he was from canada he he played very well uh, i just really did not like playing any pot with him uh the second day there was another pro two to my left who was very good three to my left was uh the pca winner uh uh, I want to say Dominic Ponka is how you pronounce his name. I, I've never said his name in my life or read it before. I, I was aware he won the PCA main event, but that was it. I didn't watch the final table or anything, so I'm not really familiar with his name. He played very, very well. Uh, people at my table were saying he got lucky a bunch. and it, That's the thing. He got lucky, but he made money when he got lucky, which not everybody does. And So essentially, my table draws were not excellent they were leaving something to be desired and even when there were players to my left that weren't let's say like a top tier pro they were good uh there was one asian girl uh, an asian girl who was just chain smoking her uh, uh her vaporizer which by the way i'm pretty sure sh- yeah you can put pot in those wondering if 
all those years I was running away from Rio security out in the parking lot trying to uh, trying to light one up while I was uh, between uh, tournament sessions. I wonder if they can just do it in the casino now. And if they get caught, they can just go, it's legal. But yeah, anyway, not that that's a bad thing. That would normally get somebody playing off a little differently. But yeah, my bone sober self was not enjoying this girl who was chain smoking something be it nicotine or whatever because she was just random rays here and there she was an la pro i want to say and it certainly played like somebody from la no no i think she said at one point she's from la but la pros for those who don't know la pros are out of their damn mind right you can if a guy's a pro in rhode island Usually what happens is everybody else just calls and plays very passively against him, and he, he just opens more and plays his hands better. If you're a pro out in L.A. or you play anything like a pro out in L.A., you are three-betting all the time, you check-raise rivers randomly, you triple-barrel bluff consistently, you're very difficult. So I just didn't have a – every time I opened, I was going to run into it on day one, so what I started doing is I started looking for guys to my right who I could isolate with three bets, and even then, uh, to show how good the Canadian pro was, he wasn't letting me get away with it, he was looking for it, so at a certain point, I had to start four-bet bluffing other pros who were three-betting my target, right, and I had to, they would three-bet my guy, and i go, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, No, he's mine, mm-hmm. and then I'd cold court and I'd go, what is going on, right? Because I don't play – I've gotten offers recently – not recently. I, I, I've gotten offers to play 10Ks and stuff again, and I've turned them down because this type of poker is certainly fun, and I like playing at this level, but I don't think it's the most money in the world. And when you go to the main event, you're hoping to play – with the postman and the school teacher and the guy who owns a dispensary. And they got some chops. They do well in their home game. But you don't want to play against guys who you can tell this is their profession and they're very good and they do it every day and they love it. And I had a lot of those guys. Uh, I want to say the guy to my right, uh, I want to say the guy to my right was a number one pocket fiver at one point and I, then I think there was another one who joined our table at one point and then if I'm catching the right euro and it was just one of those tables so on day one uh, there was one gentleman who I don't even think he played that bad but for that table he was the mark and I every time he opened I was all right here we go if it's something playable I'm going in and if somebody three bet him I went nope 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 this is going to be mine and I was lucky because I've worked a lot on four bet semi bluffing. That's never really made my training materials because one, it doesn't really come up for ninety nine percent of my students. Two, I really wouldn't like people thinking what I, what I, I don't like people knowing the counters to my own strategies. I like keeping those to myself. And most pros use some form of isolation tactics and stuff that I teach. That's not something I came up with. And. I would like to think I've added quite a few details that help the average guy, but it's not something I originated. Anyhow, so one guy just kept opening, and I got lucky enough to pick up aces versus him. I got three streets of value from him, and I almost, when I turned over the hand, I wanted to yell at the table, you see this? This is all you're going to get the whole day. This is it. I'm not playing. I quit, right? Because it was just, there was no playing against these guys. They were good. And I doubled my stack on day one, which I thought was more than good enough, given what I was. And I was mostly in a holding pattern for the rest of the day. There was one other guy. And to give you an idea of how good this table was, the guy, one of the, there were like two guys I was going after. And one of the guys I was going after, I could tell this guy... I don't know where he's from, but, like, if he was playing, like, high-stakes New Jersey home games, he would be the crusher. He just happens to not – he happens to use a lot of tricks I can see from a mile away because I've been doing this for 15 years. So 
with one hand versus him, I see that he check raised. I thought it was a bluff, and I three bet like to 15k when our stacks are 50. And I went, how in the hell am I doing this? Mm-hmm. And he ended up, but it was one of those things. Like this is not the table you want. You yeah. want guys who are reacting to you, play, not really playing back at you, kind of letting you dictate the tempo. So when I finished day one with 92k, I went, you know what, dude, you did your job. Day two, I show up. That's the day I have uh, the Polish pro three to my left. He's playing excellent. Uh, There was some younger guy who he actually got into it with me on a hand, and I I don't, I've never met this guy in my life. And he just started talking uh, smack for no reason. But I mean, to, to his credit, he did a very good bluff against me, and I missed it. I just, I don't know why you would be that, like, everything was perfect. His demeanor was perfect. His timing was perfect. The sizing of the bet was perfect. The board run out was excellent. And he got me to lay down a hand. Everything was perfect except for he showed me the bluff and started talking about it. Mm-hmm. And then I gave, I gave him a very, I, I'm not going to say what I said because it was kind of mean, but it was, uh, it ended I, I gave him, like, a light jab, and he didn't really seem to like that. And I, I, I wanted to say, like, hey, buddy, like, if you show a bluff and you start talking smack, like, believe it or not, someone might say something back to you, right? But even though this guy, like, I thought maybe needed a few more mi- years to mellow out, he was still one of the best pros I've played in a while. And he, uh, he was just trying random bluffs here and there, and he would... <clears throat> he would uh he would tag his value bets as well the same way so it was really hard to pick him off so I just wasn't opening into him I wasn't opening into uh the the Polish pro and anyway uh some weird thing happened where uh anyway that kid showed me the bluff we kind of got into it verbally and he busted later and th- then there was this real like uh mommy hit daddy silence came over the table which i don't know how to put it it's just when there's been a bust and like it's no longer a friendly game people just don't mm-hmm. want to step out as much as they used to especially when they're good people and most of the most of the people at that table were you know people in their 40s or 50s who are pretty mellow and then i was thinking oh this table's mine right because the polish pro wasn't really going after me which was a good idea because him and I could just trade opening pots. Obviously, he's going to get to open more than me because he's got more chips and he's got position, but we can just trade opening pots and do really well at this table. Uh, I got a whole lot of nothing for six hours. And then uh, I chipped up a little bit. One time I, I just had a guy, a younger guy, clearly knew who I was. I check-raised. Everybody always thinks I'm check-raised bluffing from the blinds every single time, even though I don't do that versus anyone who might know that's one of my strategies. Anyway, he didn't really... If he thinks I'm doing that, he has to shove. So he shoved... This guy hadn't touched a chip the entire day. The board came like king 9 five. He'd opened the cutoff. I had fives. I checked. He bet 2.8. I thought he was familiar with who I was, so I check-raised at 9.1, which is closer to my check-raised bluff sizings in all my training videos. He shoved, I want to say, 30-plus K. I called. He had king three. I don't know if it was king three offsuit or king three suited. I was honestly so surprised. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I ended up holding. I think it was king three off because there was no backdoor draw I was looking for. And, yeah, anyway, um, that was pretty much it. And then I had one guy who, uh, again, nobody was really bad at this table, but this was a better table than the day before. And he opened to, uh, he opened to three, 3000. And th- this guy was reacting to me much more than anything. So I wanted to play with him. And, I three bet to nine K with ace queen. He opened under the gun. I don't take anybody's under the gun raise seriously ever anymore. Uh, but I'd also seen him open some goofier holdings and then just give up right away. So the thing people don't see is if he opens and then just folds to me right there, that's, 
my expectation plus some, because Ace Queen Offsuit versus an Under the Gun Rays is worth whatever it is, 1.4 big blinds. And if he just folds there, I'm now up like five big blinds. So I'm just three times my equity for nothing. But anyway, he calls. He looks really resistant. Uh, so I go, okay. And the board comes uh, 7-4-3, checks to me. I see bet 12. He calls. Uh, there's a flush draw up there. The turn comes an offsuit queen, and he checks to me. So now there's, let's see, 12, 24, uh, 42K plus the blinds and annies. There's about 45K out there, right? And he's got 51K back. I have top pair, top kicker. Now, if I were playing cash, a lot of times I would just bet 20K and... Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm not playing for these stakes in cash, but a lot of times I try to bleed the guy a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And see if I could get a freak-out check jam. But keeping my stack in this tournament and going to a table where I don't have a PCA winner three to my left who won't let me open a pot with 150, 160K is really worth a lot. So I do this move all the time where I just jam here and I try to make it look like a draw that doesn't really know what to do. And what ends up happening is all the draws fold, which is fine, because in the WSOP main event, I would like to have a bunch of chips. And people, if you get me at a table, I didn't even mind this table, but if you get me an, e an even softer table with 100-something big blinds on a day three, like good, good luck to you. It's going to be tough. And I really wanted that weapon. And this works out really well because in the WSOP main, a lot of guys don't know they should fold their draws on that turn, which is fine. Uh, it's fine when I'm playing cash and I'm just trying to bleed the guy and make like a bet that's like slightly bigger than what he should call. But in the WSOP main where I think my stack has quite a bit of usefulness, I would much rather... I love doing this jam because a lot of times you get, like, pocket nines, and this guy was pissed off. He'd just taken a bad beat. And I, a lot of times you get the nines to just, like, go, screw it, I call, right? But the full <laughs> straw will fold. So the hands that have two outs against you call, the hands that have a lot of outs against you fold, which is fine by me, so... I tried to look like I didn't know what I was doing, and I tried to fumble a little bit, and I've run this play a hundred times in a dozen different countries. I shoved. He had pocket sevens. Uh, I'm still not... He had, top, he had top set on the flop. And to be fair to him, it was a really good play because nine out of ten people, when there's a flush draw out there and a straight draw, even though I don't have many of those draws... They'll check-raise on the flop with their sets. So, in my mind, there's only a few set combos anyway, literally a few for each one, and I'm not even counting all of them, right? So, I've got, you know, six pairs... I, I got six pairs of eights, six pairs of nines, six pairs of tens, six pairs of jacks in my mind, in like two, three, or four set combos, if that, if not just two. So, the guy threw me off, he got me... That was the really big pot. Um, I did one call for like 10K on the river. I had a hand that I checked to uh, uh, Mr. Ponka, I think if that was his last name. I checked to him thinking he's going to have to bluff this river. He bet. I felt a little squeamish about that. I didn't know if that was because of I just lost every pot for an hour. And the, the kid had no tells. I initially went with the plan that I would uh, go with with a lot of my students. It didn't turn out to be right. Uh, it, I knew he would. The problem when you're playing with really good pros is if you go check call, check, check, turn, and lead river from the blinds, a lot of times they know it's your second pair or third pair that you're trying to get value from. And the Euro pros will just bomb the river on you, right? So which is actually a really good play, but you don't have to worry about that with American pros for some reason. So I checked to him on the river thinking, oh, this, this card's really in his range here. 
he'll bet it, and then he bet, and something just didn't feel right. That's the hand I regret the most, but that was about... It was, I, I have this thing in my mind where it's like, if you don't have a really strong read, go with what you would tell people to do in the lab. And I didn't know if it was a strong read or just me being... Because there, right after that hand with uh, uh, that uh, the gentleman on the queen seven four three board, I value bet three times against Ponka with top pair, really good kicker, and he had a set somehow and didn't raise the river. I mean trips, and that one really hurt. Like that one because in my mind he took so long in the river, and once he called, I, I was like, oh, this is fine. Mm-hmm. I just got a ton of chips back, right? And then I turned over my hand, and I, I think he was just fumbling for his hand, but I thought it was that, like, five-second, oh, damn it, you got me, mm-hmm. fold, and then he turned it over. And I know it wasn't a slow roll, but it hurt like hell. And on that river, I just was, I, if I was just clear-headed as could be, like I was earlier in the day, I might have taken a huge audible and folded on that river, but I just didn't have it, so... If there's any pot I really regret, it was like 10K in chips. And that I can live with. What you don't want to say is like, yeah, that 270K pot, I don't know what I was doing, right? I've never played a poker turn in my life where I didn't make mistakes. It's never happened. It never will. Uh, That one I can live with because that's one if I got home and if I was reviewing the hands, I'd say that was a really stupid fold uh, just on paper. But... I'm still learning. It's, uh, it, it just didn't work out. Uh, and, you know, when I did jam, uh, I got, when I did finally jam all my chips in, I got picked off. So that I, 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 I lost the flap. I didn't get picked off. So that's what happened to your $145, Barry. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It was worth it. <laughs> yeah, just for that story, right? I, I, I've had worse hundred and forty-five dollar purchases. Um, I, I assume so. It, did, it, were you following it on Poker News? Has this new app where you can update your chips, and I was trying to do it after every hand, figuring you addicts would just love the sweat and like adding little notes. Did you follow that? No, this my stack thing. I just followed your Twitter and Facebook. I just. I was just talking oh, yeah. on that, yeah. 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 I did uh, hear, though, that Lon gave you a shout-out, apparently, or something. I saw Carlos uh, Wells tweet, some, uh, tweet, tweet something. <laughs> tweet <laughs> <laughs> I have been up early hours in the morning dropping my girlfriend at the airport, so that's that's allowing for that. But, yeah, he yeah, tweeted something uh, that he said he was stacking his chips tall like a Sassinato used to or something like that, or... Yeah, it was something like that. I didn't see it, but the funniest thing was I tweeted him on Twitter, like, thanks for the shout-out, and he liked the tweet right away. And then somebody said, hey, did you shout-out Assassinato? And he hasn't responded. <laughs> but uh, I, I get the uh, – I don't know. It's weird because I didn't even know he knew who I was. And something I've been saying this whole time, and people were – uh, well, I, a lot of people like like to make jokes with you. Like on Twitter, people were saying, what was it? Oh, it's good to see Fat Ass and Otto isn't back right this year because I was very, very large at the WSOP two years ago. I was 45 pounds heavier, whereas I'm this, this year I'm not. And people, you know, some people were like, hey, they shouldn't be making those jokes. And I just want to say, I am happy relevant in any way after some things that happened in my career after there's not a lot of guys that I mean Barry if you think about all the pros that started like 10 years ago how many of them are still around yeah, like I know, honestly I know a handful of the really big ones you know the helmets Matasos etc but the sort of middle of the road EPT winners and things there's obscure guys that you're like, wow, what happened to them? Or, you know, never hear yeah. of them anymore. So many. Well and, how, well, and how many of these guys are surviving off of... Like, how, how, I got a real question. How much ultimate bet money does Phil Homie still have? Right? Mm-hmm. And that's, you, uh, that's neither here nor there because he... 
whatever happened with that site is what happened, and we all took the risk, too. But there's a lot of these guys, I just, anybody from the old Full Tilt crew, in my mind, whatever, like, uh, we got our money back eventually, but, you know, you're certainly not getting a Christmas card from me. And it's, there's a lot of guys that just aren't around. So to be relevant in any sense, to be mentioned on ESPN, to even have people, or a guy shouted me out, like I wouldn't have gotten into the final 60 without Assassin Auto and stuff like that. Any of that stuff just... Yeah, I saw that. It's nice to be around. Maybe you should have read some of your own material that that guy read. And got that. <laughs> I what, did on the one block. <laughs> that's why I was going to tweet you. I was going to go, congratulations on your 61st. Here, Alex, maybe you should have read this webinar. <laughs> you know, maybe you should have took some of your own medicine. But yeah, it was all good, all good sport. Um, that was, uh, yeah. you know, that was fun. But I saw a few people tweet um, support, and also I saw like people deep. I'll need to check who final tabled and stuff, but. There was a guy down to the, I think it was top thirty, and uh, he was fo- he followed me on Twitter as well, and I was like, wow, you know, like some guy was deep, and I I didn't know him, I didn't, I don't follow him and stuff, um, and uh, I saw, did you hear the bubble hand, the November nine bubble hand? Have you seen it yet? No, uh, I heard some guy missed like saw his hand or something no but this was what like happened? To, to make the final table to make the nine it was uh aces against kings against kings wow and the guy the, the, the aces held and uh one of the kings had the aces covered so they all made this chinese guy i think it was zoo uh he went out yeah. ten, he went out 10th and then it was nine brutal so, yeah yeah I, really brutal just to give you guys an idea of how long I've been playing cards, I just remember two specific instances where I've lost that hand. Aces, uh, I've had the aces and two people have had the kings. Or the <laughs> just like, oh, there's a flush. All right, you guys have a great day. That, that, that's, uh, it, it, it's funny, as you get older in poker, you just you get such a morbid sense of humor. You're aces versus kings and kings, and my first thought was aces never holds there. There's four <laughs> different flush draws. Right, yeah. <laughs> and he's only covering two of them. I'm yeah, sorry. I know. That's that. Oh, Don't forget like, the straight draws. Yeah, no, <laughs> well, it's everybody sort of, when you start to experience those things, it's, you know, the, the amount of times. It, it's like when you were telling your hand about the set of fives against the king three or king deuce. You're not looking at like, oh, this guy's. When you first start playing, you're like, this guy's dead. You know, it's not even in your. It's not even in your mind. It's not even in your mind that, like, right, some, if right. you turn over a set of fives and the guy can't, turns over king three, you're you're not even looking at the turn and over. You're just waiting on the chips coming to you when you first start playing, and then the right. first time it happens, you're like, what? Oh, right, that. And then it will happen. You know, a few other times, and then you start looking like the amount of times I've had flop straight, get it in against top pair, and it's came turn, you know, turn river house, or right. turn turn river quads and stuff, and you're like, yeah, I don't, you know, <laughs> it doesn't surprise me now, you know, which is kind of a good way as well, because we've discussed it before, in poker, it's never really that crazy until it's like, you know, even the 1% equity things are, there's still 1 in 100, yeah. really, you know, it's like... Right. Right, you wouldn't be, like, if it were a carnival game at a county fair and they put a hundred Dixie Cups face down and there was a ball underneath one and they somehow found the ball, like, you wouldn't be like, that's the craziest thing I've yeah. ever seen in my yeah. entire life. That's it, <laughs> but, yeah. but when it's at a poker table and it happens to you, you walk around the card room going, like, this yeah. doesn't happen to anyone else. When it happens Only me. seven days in a row for six months, then it starts to get annoying. Well, that's the funny thing. I, just going on that topic, I want to talk about that topic again because uh, it was when I was, like, coming up and... Like, you could not name a major final table I did not make online. There was, I remember there was a guy named Brainwash who final tabled the Sunday Million five times, and I thought he was just like a Greek god to do that. And then 
One day, one of my buddies, David, pointed out, he said, do you realize you final tabled five full tilt majors? Like, five of them. And I just couldn't believe that because you work so hard as a tournament pro. In the, and as you play more, you start realizing, wow, every one of these, every one of these Sundays that you brick is like 7.5K, right? So uh, that starts making those like piddling uh, sixth place finishes not look so hot. But as you get better, you move up. But my buddies used to make up, I mean, even McPhee used to make the joke, like all the chips go through Assassinato. Whoever beats Assassinato in a pot 40 on deep is going to win the tournament. And another buddy of mine, David, went, you know, like, if two cards change, you're like a millionaire. And, like, looking back now in my $28 a night Airbnb, <clears throat> I think I lost the battle but won the war because if I had won any of those pots, I wouldn't have set up this business where this podcast feeds into it, the website feeds into it, the YouTube channel feeds into it. I wouldn't be able to be creative every day of my life pretty much. I wouldn't have as many friends as I did. This, I guess what I wanted to say in a roundabout way is this WCP main event was a blast because so many people came up to me just to say hi and good luck to you. I felt a little bad sometimes because when I play cards, I get into my I'm going to kill everyone mode and then I have to turn around and somebody, hey, I want to meet you. And then I, I, I oh yeah, hold on. I got to be human again. Let me unscrew my face. And... But it was such a blast, and I was thinking, okay, here, my $28, okay, this was my life out here in Las Vegas, was $28 a night Airbnb uh, next to a busy road, as maybe some of you guys can hear, uh, just gym every day. I got a one-week gym membership for like 50 bucks, and... I'm having more fun than I've ever had. I had a blast playing the main event, and I had a blast hanging out in cafes here just making the new product. I have the new product pretty much done. I just have to do uh, the audio for it, which should be pretty easy because I wrote an entire script for it. And I'm having a lot more fun. So it's, and it's funny because when I was a kid, you, you think like all the pot, the drinking, the girls, that's what's going to make you happy. And here... You know, like pot's legal now, and I couldn't care less. I just don't. I, it, it's really weird when you like go to get your coffee, and it's like, oh hey, if I duck into this place, I can get pot, and that used to be like a big problem for me. And now I couldn't care less because I'm just so happy with this really modest life. I'm really happy with playing cards, and I don't think I was that grateful when I was younger because. You know, when you're 24 and you went pro at 18, it's worked out pretty well. And by the time you're 24, you have like five major final tables just on one site, the second major site. And you have, you know, the EPT final table and the Sunday Million final tables and all that other stuff. You kind of think this is the way it is. And then you think it's so bad to go through. I had a really couple bad years as a pro. Obviously, uh, things didn't work out in Costa Rica uh, with my family there and you think you think like this is the worst thing in the world and then this year just the little things I have appreciation for just people saying hi being able to even play cards just waking up early in the morning getting a workout in that's more complete than just running around or anything feeling calm cool collected eating right I, I really feel like I won the war. I feel like I'm so ready to play more. I'm so ready to, like August, I got to go to a wedding, but like September, October, November, December, I'm trying to go to a tournament like every month. I have to get out here. I have to do it. And, you know, a lot of you guys gave me that. You guys supported me so much, even through my bad times. It's really hard to feel bad when you guys wrote me an email like every day when I was going through my divorce, like every single day I would get an email like, Hey man, I want to know what this, I want you to know what this meant to me. Please don't give up. You got this. And it's like, you can't quit when you have people like that behind you. Right. And the fact yeah. it's like total strangers that come up to you and like people were buying me coffee and stuff like that. And it was just, it, I feel like I've like, I, 
my life right now, I am fine with $28 a night Airbnbs. And when I busted the main event, I didn't even care about the money. I just wanted to keep playing poker. That was it. I wanted to keep seeing if I could push myself to the best game I could absolutely play. And the level I'm on now with all the study I've done, it's so much more gratifying than the ram and jam piss and vinegar style I had when I was younger, which quite frankly doesn't work that well anymore. And I'm very, very grateful to be out here. And I just wanted to take a second in this uh, podcast to thank you guys for helping me uh, just see how lucky I am and helping me get back out to more of these with your support. Yeah, well, if you look at it this way, you were you were one flip away in one tournament or whatever from just becoming another millionaire poker asshole. Yeah, exactly. Really. Well, yeah. well most of those guys are yeah. broke, man. Because yeah, yeah. Who knows what you 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 might be dead by now yeah. if you'd won one of these tournaments. You yeah, know? I don't. I never like I lost a flip for. Like, if you do the equity, God knows how much it is. It's in the six-figure range at the mm-hmm. EBT final table. Like, like, that tournament at that time was the biggest tournament in European history. That was how big that tournament was, that final table. And I lost a flip to go out seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, what were you saying? No, yeah, I just yeah, I said, it, mm-hmm. sorry, sorry about that. It, uh, well, in the the one outer I took, hence the namesake of this podcast, I've decided that's why we call it the one outer podcast. My one outer at an F-Tops final table right before Black Friday was literally for six figures. It was a six-figure one outer on the river. And I look back and, they, they, I mean, you can identify with this, Barry. And I, a lot of people listening to this are like, this is such BS, but you don't get it until you've had money and been miserable and been poor and been really happy (laughs) that you realize there's so much more to life than money. And if you had just had a bunch of money and then realized I, I, I did not have the tools to have that much money when I was younger. I was a drinker. I was not a very good person. I didn't really think about other people. And if you gave me that much money, and I blew up my relationships. Like you said, Barry, maybe I'd be dead. But now, mm-hmm. I, hell, there's, there's no one watching me here. There's, uh, I'm living on my own. If I wanted to drink or smoke pot, I could. I don't because I'm much happier without it. And I'm happier these days just playing cards. And I, it, The other thing is I was outside of the United States for 10 years. And when you come back... It's like seeing your country through new eyes, and it's just—it's so nice to be out here and just to. It has it a familiarity too, just being an American and not being in America for ten years, and it's just so nice to play these tournament stops, to even uh, just all these little places. It's so fun, like Pittsburgh or whatever, or <laughs> Fort Lauderdale, or when. I know this isn't in the United States, but Montreal, like it looks like they're putting us in a warehouse in the Arctic tundra, but it's like, F it. I want to play, man. Let's go. <laughs> I'm ready to do it. Um, are you still there, Alex? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It just sounded like it dropped a little bit there when it was saying. Yeah. Um, no, I have to stop you as well about the One Outer podcast. Uh, I named that uh, before I got you on the show, and I no, you didn't this site, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> you, this is the One Outer Network, and the Ask Alex show is on the OneOuter.com network. I'm Ted Turner. You're just <laughs> some, you're, you're some Vince McMahon guy bringing his World Wrestling <laughs> of webinars to this network. World <laughs> Poker webinars, okay? I'm, I'm Trump. You know. <laughs> uh, no, that was joke. No, I remember that. Cause I remember the irony of like, I think it was. Yeah, I remember getting you on and thinking like, oh, you know, yeah, it was a one hour. No, that it just that he, someone asked me actually in Vegas why I called it that, and the best answer I came up with was it kind of touches on what you're talking about there as well. For me, the a one hour just signified like, you know, it's literally either the the best thing that can happen to you in terms of you hit a one hour. Or it's the worst thing in the world, like the worst beat, you know, variance, what, you know, you right. can take. 
and also just the terms of like the character as well of like you know like a one out or almost like a you know in poker because the the thing is it's like what you talk about I actually said this you know in Vegas you sort of like you've got hours sitting at a card table and you're thinking of um various things and obviously we're doing the show and like things to talk about and maybe make like a little note or whatever to remember it and I remember thinking like the dailies you know at the real so I played a couple of them and you know the 235 or no 250 they are 250 buy-ins or whatever and I'm like in the other room you know there's maybe a 5k going on or whatever or a 10k or a 25k PLO and I'm like, this is almost like the graveyard of the other sides of the coin flips, you know, online. And people, ah. people that have went on, like, like myself, you know, I've had chances deep, 15 left in majors or 20 left. And you walk away with like, you know, like $2,000 and first 200 or whatever. Ah. And it's like, it's, what is the difference at that stage? You know, it's like, well, I've got the queens, they've got the ace king or whatever, or I've got the ace king, they've got the queens or whatever. And, you know, obviously it's more nuanced than that, but when it comes down to it in tournaments, it really is the flips and the equity, and at some point or another, you've got to be on the side of that, you know, yeah. to to yeah. get that chance, to get that um, big score, the bankroll that can then give you, and then who knows that what catapults them in, from there on. And, you know, there'll be... There'll be people who just tiptoe through variants all their life as well. And I don't envy them because, uh, without sounding like a nutcase, the variance is the good part. It's, uh, I have not had a real job since I was 18 years old. I quit my last job October 31st, 2006, and... The 12 years you've given me, this game has given me, of being on the road and, like, all the different places I've been in, uh, I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't trade it in the world for anything in the world. It, it's, like, I was just thinking about this the other day. Like, you just, it, sorry, it's kind of, when I think of every tournament stop, like the Bahamas, Prague, Budapest, Las Vegas, even weird places like Pendleton, Oregon, Los Angeles, Fort Lauderdale, New York, Montreal, Dublin, Deauville, San Remo, Monaco, Seoul, Manila, Macau, Kiev, Copenhagen, Berlin, Warsaw, San Jose, Panama, Rio de Janeiro, Punta del Este. Like, it just... Dundee. <laughs> Dundee, I mean, <laughs> if I had won, I was such a self if I was so entitled and I, I thought the goal was to get out of this, but that, that's why I go to minor league baseball games is you see these guys, sometimes like a pitcher will be 45 years old. He was in the major leagues for 20 years and he's out pitching in like Savannah, Georgia, because he won't give it up because there's not like he knows playing a game, the intensity, the adrenaline, competing is so much better than selling used cars back in Trenton, New Jersey or whatever it is. And the other thing is all the variants took me through all the different places I've lived, like all the countries, the mountains, the Mediterranean, the ocean, the desert, the cities, they're all mine. Every memory is gloriously earned. Every lesson kept every day of joy. I never surrendered. I never gave my life to another man. No man is my master. And I am stronger mentally because of the variance. I love my life now because of the variance. And if you had given me all that money when I was 23, there's a joke among rich people. I've only heard rich people say this joke, which is, do you want to kill a young man? Give him $3 million, right? And mm -hmm. there's this, uh, uh, I, the variance is the good part. The, the train on the way to the, we talked about this before, what your real salary is being on that train on the w way to the tournament stop, looking outside yeah. the window, knowing you could change your life. That's, that's the real salary. Once a lot of these guys get the money, they're going to find out, like, look, if you couldn't learn how to clean your hotel room while you were there or even iron a shirt, 
before a final table, you're going to have a very hard time managing $500,000. But there is a group of people called the IRS who will help you very efficiently (laughs) manage that if you're not careful, right? And Mm -hmm. there's a reason poor people tend to stay poor, as I found out when I was younger. It's just, it's mismanagement. It's stupidity. And I was very poor when I was younger. And when I, I was just very stupid with my money and I was very garish and everybody could see how much money I had and a fool and his money are soon parted. And I'd like to think I've learned the lesson since then, which I wouldn't have learned without variance. So, or maybe I would have gotten $2 million blown it all. And all of this would have felt terrible from this point on. Right. you like, it's pretty hard to play a two thirty five daily <laughs> after yeah. you after you won EPT Monaco or whatever it is, yeah. right? Well, and, the the thing is, these people that kind of, you know, the outliers, if you will, that sort of tiptoe through variance and they have score after score, and they can't believe they've never had that beat of aces against kings against kings, <laughs> right? Or, you know, what with twelve left or whatever, they've just never. If they go through that for so long and then they do start to get that later in life. And they don't know how to deal. You know, you're almost better having ups and downs, ups and downs in terms of like a graph rather than straight line, straight line, straight line. And then down, 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 down after that. Because it's how do you then deal? If if all you know is winning, how do you then deal with losses or punches or uh, bumps in the road? You know, it can affect them arguably worse mentally because they've not had that sort of like little inoculations along the way. Right, exactly. And I I mean, just to put a bow on this, maybe we can get to like one question before we finish. Yeah, yeah. I, when I'm alone, I'm very anxious. I'm a very anxious person. I'm always thinking. And sometimes I don't like the thoughts that go across my mind. And nothing gets rid of that. And that was why there's a reason why so many drug addicts become really into exercise afterward. It's a way to deal with overwhelming emotions and something I've just found as I've gotten older, anything you do like nicotine, caffeine, even, but like pot drinking and anything beyond that, it's going to have a repercussion. It's going to, it'll take you away from your anxiety, but only for so long. And there's a lot of times you'll do that stuff and you're going to be really paranoid the entire time and you're not going to enjoy it and you're going to feel terrible about yourself the next day. Whereas I found working out, if you do it safely, just lifting weights, running, interval training, there's no downsides. There's no side effects. And it just, it takes you away from all that anxiety in competing, Barry. Like competing, playing that main event, just every deal, watching, thinking, calibrating, it, it, it's, there's a purity to it. And you've got to really enjoy the variance. You've got to really enjoy just being out there and fighting. Because if that, that's the whole reason I like playing cards is I have no worries when I'm playing cards. There's nothing else I'm supposed to be doing. There's nothing mm-hmm. else better I could be doing. I am here at the table. I am present. There's no, and it's like we talked about before, it's analog in a digital world. It's watching the other person and there's such a purity to it. There's nothing defining you based on your skin color, your sexual orientation, your, your religion, any of that. It's just you and the other guy and who's got it this time in their mind, who's actually got it in their hand in what you can dictate and say to the other person and what they're going to believe. And that, that art form, I, lo- I would do it for $0. If they told me you have to donate every dollar you earn for the rest of your life from poker to charity, I would still be out there doing it. I would still be in some bum-ass-nowhere upstate New York doing this because I love doing this. And I don't think if you have – I do not believe – if you cannot say what I just said with a straight face and mean it, I don't think you should be doing this for a living because this is so much more work for so much less money than anybody could ever believe. You have to do it because you love it and you have to do it because 
you got to be like a fighter that loves getting punched in the face because it gives you an adrenaline rush and you come right back at them. And if you don't have that, you can't make it. All right, let's answer a question. Yeah, I, uh, I wouldn't do it for nothing. <laughs> I know you wouldn't, Barry. That's, <laughs> that's why you make more money than me doing something else. <laughs> yeah, okay, <laughs> let's, into it. let's do this one. Uh, right, this one is from Aaron Lapointe, uh, oh, no. who's not, not, uh, yeah, who not messaged in in a while, I don't think. So uh, let's get it. And he went, he posted it in the group. So got a question for the pod. Been a while, boys. Barry, a hundred dollar bet if I can guess the first word of the podcast, and it was okay. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> love it. On to my next question. Well, smart ass Lapois. If you're if you're wind to the start of this podcast, you'll see that it wasn't actually. So just ship me that hundred dollars, please, uh, on PayPal or PokerStars. Or it took him it four times to do it. Eric. <laughs> Okay, this one is um, Alex. I got a question about selling pieces in the WSOP main event. This is a tough question for a podcast, but I'll get your thoughts anyways. It seems most players seem to increase their relative edge or markup in this field for obvious reasons. Recreational, player heavy, equal in soft fields, etc. I get it. At the same time, payouts are relatively flat and 15% pay. So you have to finish in the top 10% or through 33% of the field that cashed to simply make 100% ROI or make $19,900, basically doubling your money. Another example, if someone plays 10 years and has two finishes in exactly 100th place and bricks the other eight, this player would net lose dollars. Because the field is so big, I just wonder why people think they can charge these absurd markups. What about the markdown on the fact that the field is just so massive? It's not easy to navigate and net a positive ROI. Are our buyers just supposed to buy into the possibility of the massive bink? And I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about everyone selling. Right. Thanks, guys. Signed La Pointy, LOL. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, why? When I, when I heard that, I thought, why can Starbucks sell me nine cents worth of coffee and some ice and two 20 cent espresso shots for five sixty or whatever it is. Well, it's because I'm willing to pay for it and I'm not in the mood to bring an espresso machine to Vegas. So I'm going to pay you an extra four bucks from whatever it is to assemble it for me with your coffee machine. And that tends to be how the market works. Now, whether it's a good investment or not, when it comes to poker, is much different. Uh, I think all of these markups are... I, I'm struggling to find words I can say on the radio. They're outrageous. I think it's bizarre. Uh, my, buddy, my buddy Daniel, who is about the most humble, intelligent person I've ever met... Uh, a lot of my libertarian views and my views on diets and a lot of things came from him when I was very young. Uh, he's younger than me, but he taught me much more about life and ICM and poker than anybody could believe. Uh, German guy, he very humbly showed me a bunch of things, and that became Sharp Staking, our book, which you can find on Amazon, which was, he was just... He, he was just saying none of these stakes are profitable. Like, if you really apply the Kelly criterion and all this, like, not, nobody has enough money for this, and all of these markups are absolutely insane. And the other thing he was pointing out was, to your credit, Aaron, um, you'll always notice in my staking emails, I say, I pay stake back. And what that means is, before... I have to pay you back your markup before I get anything. Now, that's not normal, but when you run the numbers on it, that makes things much better for the investor long term. Because like you said, a lot of these caches are very small. And if I just get to pocket most of that, you're never going to make any money. And whereas it's more motivating for me in the money to... It, it's more motivating for me in the money to go for it, which you should want, want me to do, is cash and then win the tournament if I have to pay you back your markup first. Now, that's not standard operating procedure, but 
if you look at a distribution of what the investors are making when they don't get their st- their stake back, uh, it ends up being really bad for these tournaments. And the markups people charge on the WCP main event blow my mind because everybody says there's a ton of recreational players in this field. Well, I, how many professional poker players are there on earth, you think? So estimates are there's 100 million people who play poker on earth, which does not sound off to me because... Since the dawn of time, I have never wanted to bring up my job at a party because I have to hear everybody's stories about making, what's the line I always get? Playing beer for beer money in college. That's what everybody got their beer money from poker. Everybody, nobody lost their beer money. Everybody made their beer money in college, right? And if everybody has a connection to this game, and let's say 0.1%, uh, or 1% play professionally, can play professionally, whatever it is, right? So you got like 10, 20, 50,000 people that play professionally on earth, whatever it is. There's only 7,000 people in the main event. So how many of them are pros? A lot of them are pros. Now, the main event is great for a guy like me, which is all of my strategies are, here's a guy in an open field tournament who knows a few things. Here's how you can take every dollar from him. Because believe me, I teach these guys every day. I know their weaknesses. So the main event is really good for me. But if you have like a pro from Kazakhstan, right? Playing home games in Kazakhstan. I'm sure there are pros in Kazakhstan. I am positive there is, I would bet a lot of money. There is one pro in Kazakhstan, if not a hundred. Okay. And you think about how far out that country is and how far removed that country is from poker. And they have 100 pros. And then you think of all the countries on earth. You realize how many people there are. But if you get a, if you get a pro from Uzbekistan or Kazakhstan or Cambodia or South Africa, he is going to be, he is in a different economy and he can do different things to make his money there, which I don't think will hold up in Vegas. So I think a technician such as myself has a very huge edge in those tournaments. But a guy who's won op- one open field tournament is not, does not a technician make. It, just, because you've, uh, just because you've gone up to the plate once and hit a home run does not mean you're going to hit 280 in the major leagues. And there's a lot of guys who are selling pieces. And to be fair to them, if you can sell for two, three times, uh, you know, 200% markup or whatever they're seeing, and people are going to pay for it, I I don't think it's good long-term because I think in five years we're going to start 10 years. We're going to start seeing my, my friend Daniel was right about all of this. And I think it's going to start biting people in the ass. I personally sell at the prices I sell, which is 1.25 generally, which I think is more than fair because I I would be flabbergasted if my ROI was less than 60-75% in almost any open field tournament. Uh, But like 1.45 in the main event is fine to me because there's such a huge upside and I have such a high likelihood of gaining it with my field of study and my physical condition and how good I'm feeling these days. I'm fine with charging that, but I would feel like I was stealing from you guys if I charged it 2.2 or what, what have, what, that was like, what were the rates that were going on, Barry? Were you seeing some of these? Yeah, I saw stuff like 2.5, 2.6, maybe even three or something. Yeah. (laughs) There were some crazy ones on Twitter. I, 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 you know, you would just, Common sense tells you. Well, and it's one of those things. Avoid. Look, if you want to gamble, like, uh, it's not fair for me to criticize some big name pro when, like, I'm not going to go to Las Vegas and go to the craps table or go to the roulette wheel and see somebody bet on seven and then point at them and go, you know, that's a sucker bet, right? Like, I would be a very weird person if I were going to do that, but. I don't know, I don't, I'm planning to do this for 50 years. When I'm 80, I'm going to be making fun of you guys at final tables and still winning them. 
So it is very important to me to keep things on the up and up. The first time I paid well, the mistake back, I didn't even put it in the liner notes. I just meant to do it, and I paid it back, and people were confused. That was in Montreal. And then uh, people were trying to give me the money back and everything. Sorry, Barry, what were you saying? Yeah, I was just going to joke what your markup would be in the seniors. And <laughs> it's okay. it's going to be 2.8. <laughs> I don't got many more of these, boys. Put the money down. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. no, I, I think they're ridiculous. Uh, the idea also is the downside is so small. Most people can part with a couple hundred dollars and not even think about it in the first world. And the upside is getting to go to the final table and have the time of your life watching somebody make forty, fifty thousand for you. That some guys charge a surcharge on top of that. I just it leaves me squeamish just having seen the distributions of how often the investor, I, I'm straining for words that are not vulgar, uh, how often the mm. investor is just screwed in that situation. So I think it's much better to set up, I think it's really a good idea to set up a, I have the highest percentage of myself, but it's still an amount I could lose and I could go on with my life. I don't like it when anybody buys a huge percentage of me. I would much prefer everybody has a very small percentage. That way, if they lose it, everybody, it's fine. It, they got a sweat out of it. And if they win, it feels amazing. That's much better to me. And I think that's much more fun for everybody involved. I can see that lasting for 80 years. That's very anti-fragile. As Nassim Taleb would say, oh, we finally, we got, we got one Taleb reference in, Barry. We yeah. almost made it through the entire episode without him. But it's, it's a nice option because there's very little downside and a ton of upside. And I think once you start charging those stupid markups, and then there's a huge downside where people, once they see that there's a distribution that shows them negative, they're not there's a huge downside. You feel like you just got screwed. And then there's a lot of money down that you never had a realistic option of getting back. So I think that's terrible. And I think that's a really bad downside. And I think you, I don't feel like I could say with a straight face, I care about my supporters if I were to charge something like that. And yeah, I guess we should wrap up today's episode, huh, Barry? Okay. So just to wrap up then, in layman's terms, and for me specifically, just clarify, what's 1% of nothing? <laughs> yeah. Just, just so, More just than my you own math here. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's just because you said the oneouter.com was named after some pissy little one-outer you took in that. We were around before that one-outer and before that or. You, you listen here, kid. I, I, no, I, I took over this network, Barry. I'm Anderson Cooper. Yeah. You can't get rid of me now. Yeah. If you're touching. <laughs> Which, uh, here, as long as the share price keeps going up, I'm happy. I'll sit on the beach. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, Alex. Uh, thanks for joining us and taking that time. I know you're still in Vegas and you got to check out and stuff today and you're flying later today. So uh, safe flight home, safe trip home. Hope everything goes well. And we'll have you back on next Thursday um, on on the OneOuter.com network. We'll have the Ask Alex show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alex, Alex, how can people get in touch with you for... Maybe want to mention your staking book again, because we've talked quite a bit about that you know, extensively on this episode. So your sharp staking stuff, and how can they get in touch with you to purchase your webinars and start getting ready? Because I, I was talking with Alex before the show. I'm actually excited about going back to Vegas at the latest next year, uh, WSOP. Um, I might even go back again sooner before then, or if not America and end up there for a little while or something. So, uh, But definitely next summer I'll be going back out. So Alex, how can people start getting some tools from the Assassinato School and uh, sharpening up their game? Well, if you want to check out Sharp Staking, it's available on Amazon. Just type in Sharp Staking. There is a website that uh, Daniel put together. And you can just Google Sharp Staking. It'll be the first result. Uh, if you guys want to write me about anything, my email address is alex at pokerheadrush.com. 
If you want to sign up for my newsletter, go to PokerHeadRush.com and go to the section in the top right and enter your email address. You, If you are into this podcast, you really want to sign up for that because I just counted because I'm about to put out some advertisements for my new product next week. Uh, it was 25 free articles, videos, and podcasts between the last advertisement and the new advertisement. So very high ratio of free stuff to anything asking for money on there. So do be sure to check that out. Uh, and follow me on Twitter at the assassinato. If you want to laugh about me locking myself out of my Airbnb when I'm in my towel and other hijinks. As long as there's no photos, then I would <laughs> highly, rec- highly recommend that. I don't care how much weight you've lost. <laughs> uh, okay, Alex, it's been fun. Um, thanks very much for listening to everyone. Uh, thanks for the questions that you've wrote in. We only got one today, but we did have to hear about Alex's main event. and We got talking about a lot of good stuff that we always enjoy talking about. And um, Yeah, I've enjoyed that, Alex. Thanks for taking the time, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Keep your questions coming in and cheers. cheers. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.